Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today we're talking all things investing with Tom Crosshill, who is an investment trainer and entrepreneur. Having spent many years on Wall Street, Tom has significant experience and insight into the world of investing. And since leaving the US, he's been on a mission to help business owners and other busy individuals become confident, passive investors through his training. To date, he has delivered his program to over 1,000 people across Europe. As well as demystifying a lot of investment jargon during our conversation, Tom talks about passive investing and how to select the right stocks, explains the difference between EFTs and index funds, lists a few things to avoid, including trying to predict the markets, and discusses how to prepare yourself emotionally for investing. As well as this, he's got a great background and story himself, so of course we delve into that. And he tells us how, of all things, he became an award-winning fiction writer. If you want to better understand investing, this really is an episode for you. Tom, welcome to the Evolved Succeed podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. The main part of our conversation today is going to be investments and, you know, why should a business leader, business owner on their journey invest? Um, and, and build that kind of wealth along the way and all of those kind of things and some of that kind of higher level strategy around things they may think about and things they may do. But I'm also intrigued, Tom, about you and your own story and your own journey. And you co-founded uh, a European investment company, Indexo, uh, which, as I understand it, went from zero to an IPO in just five years. So I'm, I'm keen to learn what are some of the sort of keys to that success for you, Tom. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty crazy story. I mean, we can get into it in more detail, but the basic idea is, so I'm from Latvia. I went to work on Wall Street for a while, but I came back to Latvia and I and I saw with some partners that like investment options were really bad. They were really expensive, very poor choices, and people are struggling to save for their pensions. So we came in and built this kind of pension company with half the costs of everybody else. And, and that got a lot of traction and we managed to really scale it up. So really that disruption piece was reducing the cost of investment and that's what created the success, was it? Yeah, absolutely. Initially, it was reducing the cost. And then, of course, as we provoke competition and other people reduced costs as well, it was uh, being able to kind of explain investments in a simple, accessible way and get people excited about investing. Yeah, But initially it was, let's disrupt the market. Everybody's too comfortable. Everybody's too fat. Let's come in and, and shake it up. Brilliant. And I suppose that's what a lot of people need to do to succeed, don't they? When they when they have a startup is find their niche, find that disruption. And that's what you found. I mean, so you must have come from a corporate world. So how did you, you know, work, work, working on Wall Street 
coming to start your own business, a startup. Um, how did you find that transition? Yeah, you know, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't necessarily easy. I, I think it, anybody who's run a business know that knows that at some point there's a big s a shift in your mindset, the shift mm -hmm. from being an employee to thinking, that, okay, you know, I'm going to build something and scale something up. Uh, I think at some point in your life you just realize, okay, uh, if I keep thinking as an employee and looking for the next job, even if I'm getting paid a couple hundred thousand or potentially on Wall Street millions, mm. I mean, it's still capped and you're still doing whatever your boss says. And if you get fired, you get fired, right? Uh, and, and at some point you want to stop selling your time and you want to start creating value. Now, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to make more money. I mean, mm. arguably, I might be making more money on Wall Street if I'd stayed there than as an entrepreneur, but I'm having more fun. I have more freedom and I'm not afraid that my boss is going to fire me. Yeah, that life choice. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and good for you for doing that. I suppose while we're on the subject of Wall Street, you know, I suppose the image of Wall Street is very alpha male, alpha female, dog eat dog, that kind of thing. I mean, how did you, how long did you spend on Wall Street? How did you find the environment? Is there any myths about Wall Street that you'd like to put right? Sure. Well, actually, let me take a little step back just for context. So, I mean, it, it's uh, I was raised uh, in the Soviet Union, right? I, I was born in 1985. So, so you know, I was born in Soviet Latvia. I was born in the family of two teachers. So it wasn't like abject poverty. But, you know, we lived like mm -hmm. four people to a room, used clothes. Like if we could eat a banana or an orange, it was an occasion, you know. Uh, so, you know, it was like, like the kind of environment where nobody had any money to invest in investing and, 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 and you know, wealth yeah. that, that was totally foreign to us. Uh, so then I go to the US for school. I studied physics still as a penniless student with no money. And I get my first job on Wall Street. So suddenly I'm up against all these uh, working with all these millionaires and, and people from Harvard and Princeton and Yale and these wealthy American families. And uh, so so that was, you know, I was really intimidated. You know, I thought it would be like this kind of super, yeah, this, you know, macho, difficult, challenging environment. And I wasn't sure how, how I could compete. Uh, but actually, yeah, I think there's. Maybe it used to be like that. Uh, I mean, Wall Street is still, you know, there's still some of that culture, but I think it's mellowed out a lot, uh, okay. partly f due to legal reasons, because everybody's scared of getting sued if, if, if you know, if that toxic culture is, is too strong. Uh, and also the other thing I, re I kind of discovered is that, uh, I mean, investing and, and finance, I mean, it can be it can be tricky, but it's really not rocket science. I mean, it, it's not that difficult. OK, initially it can be intimidating because all the jargon and everything else, it seems strange. Uh, but uh, if you kind of take it one step at a time, it, it's, it's really not that difficult. So um, I, I, I say that to everybody. Don't let mm -hmm. bankers in suits intimidate you and make you think that, oh, I can't understand this. I can't deal with this. It's really not that complicated once you get past the jargon. Okay, well, hopefully we're going to sort of de-jargonize investment in a moment. But I, you know, during the course of this conversation, but I'm really interested just in that little bit of story. And how did you overcome that? Because there must have been that little bit of imposter syndrome. And I assume the drive to succeed came from that, you know, what, you know that family background that, you know, like, as you say, not abject poverty, but, you know, a background in a childhood when, you know, things weren't necessarily financially easily. So that must have been the drive. But how did you actually overcome those fears that of inadequacy, imposter syndrome when you arrived in Wall Street? Because we all go through that in different ways in life from time to time, don't we? 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think there's a number of challenges. I mean, one is, okay, imposter syndrome. And I've been generally throughout my life pretty good at just outworking it. Meaning if I feel the imposter syndrome, I will just work three times harder than anybody else. I will study things in the evenings or the weekends or whatever until I, I know more than everybody else and then I can kind of uh, get ahead. Yeah, so that, that's been okay. Yeah. Um, but I think the bigger challenge uh, is, is um, mindset. Uh, it, it's when you grow up in a, like, first of all, in a communist country, right? And then in a family where investing is not really a thing and, and maybe business is, you know, there's no history of business. I mean, my dad has a small business, so, so I had some, I was fortunate. But, you know, there's no tradition of really entrepreneurship and all that. Um, and, and then, I mean, it took me years to, like, it, I had to be in the Wall Street environment to really consider that I might invest my money. And then it took me years mm -hmm. to start thinking that, well, maybe I could, be a businessman and I could, you know, build wealth someday. It just seemed like something from a different planet. If you don't have it in your family, it's very easy. Like if your dad, if you have this around you, if your friends and, and your parents and everybody else, there's entrepreneurs and, and wealthy people, I think it's very different. And if, if you don't have that, if everybody's working for a small salary and the discussions are, well, where can you find a salary that's 20% higher, uh, then making that transition, I think, is, is, uh, is the yeah. challenge to flip the switch in your head. Brilliant response. Yeah, brilliant response. And switching that, yeah, switching your head when, yeah, that is not your natural background and you've got to make that transition in life as well. Yeah, I can, um, that resonates with me definitely. And yeah. I can see that that could have been, you know, that can necessarily be the bigger challenge because as you say, everything else, you just work harder, smarter, get yeah. yourself educated and yeah. And then, then you can be there at that table and compete, compete. But yeah, you kind of got to learn to fit as well. So, Nice to have that, and hopefully for our listeners, that's given us a bit of a background to you, Tom, put things in context, a bit about your story, which is great, but do want to go on and just talk about investments, because I suppose the first thing I would say is the thing I hear most, and I suppose I was guilty of this to an extent, was that we all think, well, I'm going to start a business, going to build a business, I'm going to sell a business, that's my investment, that's my pension, that's how I'm going to make it, that's how... I'm going to become financially secure. And for many that happens, but it doesn't happen for all. Right. So, you know, if you've got business owners, business leaders listening to this conversation, you know, what would you say to them if that's the philosophy that they're following right now, Tom? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, obviously it can work. It, it can work. Uh, but on the, on the flip side, there's two arguments. One, what if it doesn't, right? Uh, and the second argument is, well, why not invest and accelerate the process of growing your wealth, right? So what if it doesn't? That's one. I mean, I, I was recently talking to a multimillionaire startup kind of ex somebody who exited from their first startup and, and he's diversifying his investments. And, and he talks to a lot of other successful kind of startup people who, who have some millions and whatever and, and for the first time in their lives. Uh, and, and he says a lot of people have this hang up. They exited from their first startup. They made some a few million and they want to put it all in the next business. But it's really stupid because the math of startups is tech startups is such that most will fail. So mm. if you've if you've managed to make whatever, whether it's fifty thousand or a hundred thousand, like the first hundred thousand is the most difficult, right? The first million is the most difficult. Why would you risk having to do it again from zero if something doesn't work out, right? 
So, so you want to kind of diversify the risks. Like with my current business, yes, I'm going all in, but I'm also keeping a bunch of other investments and that gives me peace of mind. If this business were to fail for some reason, mm -hmm. I'm not going to have to start from zero. I, I have the starting capital to launch a new business or whatever. So that's really important. Uh, but then the other thing is, even as I'm uh, becoming more successful with this business, every time I take out dividends, I put some of that in investments because, uh, well, it depends on your business. But for example, my business can only eat so much um, investment. Like I don't, it, it's not capital intensive. I don't need to put in a bunch of my money all the time. It's actually, we're cash flow positive. So that's very nice. Uh, so, so in that sense, um, I don't need it all. Uh, and uh, I can't get a good return in the business. And I want mm -hmm. that money to be making a return, right? I want it to be making me more money uh, so that, okay, I'm making money in the business. And my money is making me money outside of the business. And if I have these two things happening at the same time, I get rich faster than if I only have the business. Okay. So that's kind of yeah. two sides. One is don't risk everything. And the second, you know, just accelerate how your wealth grows. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Two great perspectives there. And yeah, actually, again, would resonate. You know, you see so many, and we work with them, you know, business owners, on entrepreneurs that sell the first business and nearly think they can walk on water. And, yeah, and don't perhaps realize and remember the energy, not just the money, but the energy it took to do, to start that first one and succeed and get it the ball rolling. And yeah, so they start again and they try again and, and not always uh, to the same degree of success. And yeah, that kind of not putting all your financial eggs in one basket makes sense. But also that fact that a lot of businesses do as they grow and succeed, throw off income, don't they? And it's then yeah. what you, you know, if you can double up on that and do something with that income that's thrown off, um, yeah, you're creating wealth in more than one place and spreading your Absolutely. risk, which is great. But I suppose I'd go on to ask then, you know, what's that very initial advice that you'd give that busy business leader, business owner who wants to invest, but perhaps doesn't have the time or knowledge right now and doesn't know where to begin. So what are the first steps someone should take, Tom? Yeah, uh, well, the first step is actually to think about that uh, claim that I don't have the time to do it, right? Uh, a lot of people say, I'll do it when I have a bit more time. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't know, one of my favorite phrases that I used to say in my family was, you know, um, things are a little bit crazy right now, but like in a month or two, it, it should slow down. So, so then I'll do it, right? <laughs> but <laughs> 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 Right, because today your calendar is full because it's right next, you know, it's right there. And, and by the time next month comes around, around, it's going to be full again. And actually what investing, what effective investing, passive investing can do is, is free up time for you down the line. But if you don't, don't start doing it now, it's never going to do that, right? So it's actually kind of a high priority to start doing it. Um, uh, but then the second thing I would say is it's a little bit self-serving because I'm an investment trainer, but it really is that you need to get uh, educated a little bit because the way I think about it in life, okay, there's three parts to building wealth. There's making money and we spend a ton of time and effort on that. Yeah. Uh, there's saving money and a lot of people spend a lot of effort on it and we make sacrifices. We don't buy that fancy car or the big TV or whatever because we want to save, right? It, it, so we put energy into that. And then there's investing. And a lot of people kind of treat it as an afterthought. They, they just read something online and they jump and do the same thing or, or they just tr trust their banker, which can be fine, but they'll end up paying 
one, one and a half, two percent per year in fees, mm -hmm. which which eats up a lot over time. Uh, instead of taking a little bit of time to kind of educate yourself, because it's an important part. It's like one third of the big picture. If you want to grow wealth, uh, you want to kind of educate yourself. So we can talk about next steps. But those are the first things. First, to understand that there's never going to be a great time and, and, and you kind of need to find the time you need to make the time and second it is important to kind of educate yourself a little bit before you give somebody your money yeah okay brilliant and i'll just pick up one of the things you said because you talked about passive investment rather than somebody really actively investing and ma managing your funds i mean is that a core philosophy that you have tom I think it, it depends a little bit on what you want to do in life. But I would imagine that for most business owners, I mean, we have our hands full, right? I mean, Absolutely. you're running your business. Like, when are you going to sit there and read the financial statements of 50 different companies to select the 20 stocks which you think are great so that you're I, I, active investing? it's really time consuming. So if you have a business or a high powered job or whatever, it's not really a great fit. Yeah, so you can either do it sloppily and probably not get very good results, or you can go passive. Yeah, and, and, and my philosophy for most people, yeah, for, for most business owners is, okay, I'm active in my business and then I have some cash flow and I wanna invest that passively Okay, so I can focus on my business and focus on making more money. I'm probably better at my business. That's probably the best way to make more money than spending a whole bunch of time to learn investing with the hope that I might get a slight uptick in my kind of annual return, which most people don't, even with a lot of work, they, most people don't. Yeah, most people, active investing is not, just doesn't work for them, right? So yes, I, I'm, I'm a big fan for passive invest, uh, of passive investing unless you want to be a full-time uh, investment professional. Brilliant. And I would, yeah, I suppose that that's the piece, isn't it? Around, you know, let people play to their strengths. And yeah, therefore, absolutely. if the strength is running a business, creating a business, creating the wealth, do that and then do something different. So how do you find, define passive investment? So passive investment is, I mean, I mean, honestly, of course, there is no investment that is absolutely 100% passive without doing anything. But a passive investment is one that takes as little time and effort from you as possible. And uh, the best kind of passive investments, for example, the passive part of my portfolio takes me literally two to three hours per year to manage. Okay. Initially, okay. you need some time to set it up to figure out how it works to learn. But once you have it going, um, so it's not a secret then like index funds and ETFs, if you know how it works, if you set up your portfolio, later, it's maybe a few hours per year to kind of keep an eye on it, make sure everything is going uh, the way it should be. Okay. And what's an EFT? Uh, so ETFs, uh, ETFs are exchange ETFs. traded funds. Yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, actually, um, even though these are some of the most popular investments in the world, when I do webinars for people across Europe, I usually find that uh, only maybe 20 to 30% know the details and 20 to 30% have heard the name and everybody else hasn't even heard the name. So it's important to kind of take a step back and, and, and understand how that works. So uh, to stay, take a step back, we actually need to go quite a ways back. We need to go back to, okay, where do you want to invest? Yeah, if you have some money, where do you want to invest? Um, and um, uh, do you want to gamble, which is like uh, trading uh, Forex or day trading stocks, buy and sell, buy and sell, or, or crypto or whatever. But these are, I mean, first of all, this is active. Yeah, it takes a lot of time and energy. Yeah. And second, it, it really is gambling. Some people, same as with poker, some people who are really good at it can make money. Most people don't end up making money, right? 
or you can invest responsibly for the long term. And if we talk about long term investing, uh, the two big proven investments over the long term are real estate and stocks, real estate and business, basically. But stocks are the way the easiest way to invest in business, right? OK, uh, so real estate has its own set of challenges, uh, managing properties, dealing with tenants, doing repairs, all this stuff. Uh, it, it's fine if you, if you love it, if you do it, you can do it. Uh, but let's just put it aside for a second. Let's assume you want to invest in the stock market. And there we come to the problem that I mentioned before, like nobody has time to select the right stocks for your stop? portfolio. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's where index funds and ETFs come in. Yeah, An index fund, it's a very simplistic example that I use is, let's say you go to a candy store that you've never been to before. There's a whole bunch of candy. You don't know what's good. You know, you don't want to risk buying something that, 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 that you know, it's some kind of weird licorice that, that, that just tastes gross, right? So instead you buy a bag of everything and that's a kind of good solution. Well, an index fund is a little bit like that, but for stocks, okay. yeah. Uh, as an amateur, like, um, it's very difficult to say which companies in the stock market are going to perform better. Okay. And actually, people don't understand that like, virtually all the companies in a major index, like the FTSE 100, the S&P 500, whatever, I mean, these are big, successful companies. It's not like, yeah, there are some good companies and then there's a whole bunch of really crappy ones. I mean, most of them are quite big, quite successful if they've made it that far, right? So it's really, really difficult to pick which ones of these are going to be mm. more successful. Who's going to outperform who is really difficult to determine at that point, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, it, 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 even professionals don't really succeed at that. Uh, so what an index fund or ETF does is it says, OK, let's just buy all of them. Let's buy a little bit of all of them. And you get the combined result of all these companies. Um, so so that, that's the approach. It's what Warren Buffett recommends for most people. It's what a bunch of Nobel Prize winners recommend. You just invest in the whole economy with very, very low costs. And index funds and ETFs are just how you do it. Now, the difference between an index fund and ETF is technical. An ETF is something you buy on a stock exchange like a share. An index fund is something you get directly from the provider like Vanguard or HSBC or, or through a fund platform. But if this is your first time hearing about it, I wouldn't worry about it at all. The basic idea is instead of picking separate funds, you invest in the whole market with very low costs. And, and it just historically, it has been a really smart way to invest. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. That was a brilliant explanation. And I suppose when you're then talking about investment and you're talking about not gambling because you know the gambling is I want to get a return and I want to get it in a short to medium term what time scale when somebody is investing in a, you know an in index fund um, on ETF do you think they need to think they're going to invest over so this uh, really the it's kind of an art of figuring out, OK, what is my time scale? And then based on that, what are the appropriate investments? Uh, so if we're talking about just stock index funds or stock ETFs, so investing in the stock market, well, typically you would say the minimum is maybe five years and you're probably more comfortable with seven, 10 or uh, more years. Because uh, the reason is that in the short term, the market does fall. It does happen mm -hmm. regularly that uh, over the short term you have losses actually around one in every four years, you see a loss in the stock market, right? So if you're just investing for the next year, I mean, you can end up losing a bunch. And, and, and then if you need to sell in that time, it's really painful. But over the long term, the statistics are much, much better. The stock market has always gone up because you're investing in real companies which are making mm -hmm. money. So as long as there's no Armageddon, I mean, you can generally expect the market to go up over the long term. So that's why for long term investments, stocks have been fantastic. Now, if you need to invest for shorter periods, that's where you start adding 
kind of less risky and kind of less profitable investments to your portfolio. Uh, the typical solution would be bonds or bond funds. Uh, there are also bond index funds and ETFs that you can use that, that you know, kind of simplify your life. Uh, so for example, if you're investing for three to five years, maybe you might use you might either buy a few short-term bonds or a bond fund. Um, a couple of years ago, it was not interesting at all because rates were like around zero or negative interest rates, I mean. Uh, but today, I mean, uh, it's becoming more interesting again as rates have gone up around the world. Uh, so, so now that uh, option is on the table again. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. And we've talked about, I think we've probably talked about some of the common mistakes that people make when they start investing. You know, the perhaps they're being too active themselves, they're going into risky investments, they're not investing for the long term, you know, they're not making those decisions. Any other common mistakes that you think people make in those early days of investing? Uh, definitely. Uh, there, there's a bunch. One that I would highlight is not having your safety cushion. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're a business owner, um, and let's say you take out your quarterly dividend or whatever, um, and then, okay, you'll say, okay, well, for the next three months, I need whatever the amount is, 15,000 pounds or something. I put that aside, and then everything else I invest. Uh, then um, it's not really a smart idea because, I mean, what if there's a slowdown in, in the economy? What if next quarter's dividend doesn't come on time? Whatever. What if, you know, there are other challenges and you need a bit more money? So you typically want to have a safety cushion that's a little bit bigger that you don't invest for these uh, eventualities. People who have a really stable government, bond, uh, government job might have a smaller safety cushion. Somebody who has a small business in a kind of sensitive industry that, that fluctuates a lot, you might want to have a bigger safety cushion. Because what you don't want is to buy a bunch of stocks and then suddenly uh, the market is down, the economy has slowed down, you don't have income and you have to sell those stocks at a bad price, right? So you want to have some safety cushion that you don't invest before you start investing. Uh, so what? that's one big mistake. Brilliant. I think it's a great one and not one that you'd easily think of, would you? You think, right, I'm all in. I'm going to go. And right, actually, exactly. Yeah. And then you then have to make some, if you do need to step in, it feels like a negative decision. And if that bit's at a loss, that could just throw your confidence off completely yeah. in terms of investing. So uh, great advice there, Tom. And, you know, as we're seeing it, we, we get bombarded, don't we, with a kind of flood of adverts for apps and I suppose, get rich, quick investment, you know, <laughs> gurus and all of those kind of things out there. You know, what's your view on, you know, the apps that are coming out and, you know, some of that kind of guru stuff. And I'm Tom, I'm clearly I'm not putting you in that category. Uh, you're very much in everything I've read about that kind of, you know, train people to invest for themselves for the long term rather than the, right, let's get rich quick. But, you know, you're up against that as competition, aren't you? The apps and the gurus. Absolutely. What's your view? Yeah, so it's actually kind of a complex issue. Uh, there are certainly many benefits uh, to all these fintechs and, and trading apps out there because they've provoked a lot of competition and they're driving investment costs down, which like the, the big old investment houses and banks used to feel really comfortable. They're fat fees and commissions and everything, and they've been forced to reduce that because of all this competition. So mm -hmm. that's wonderful. Uh, for long-term investors, 
I generally am cautious with a lot of these new apps. Uh, first of all, if they're regulated, so you want to make sure it's li it's a licensed regulated company, whatever you're using. Yeah. Uh, so it might be licensed uh, and, and regulated by the FCA or maybe it's regulated in Cyprus or Germany, but you know, somewhere in a reputable country, you want to have some regulator watching them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if that's the case, okay. I mean, that that is already very significant because uh, most uh, investment companies, I mean, they have to follow strict rules that client money is held separately from the company. And, and so in general, it's, it's fairly safe to invest through them. Um, that said, it, when looking at these new apps, I generally would prefer them for active trading, but I'm putting in some smaller amount of money and I'm playing with it. And I think they can be brilliant for that. If you if you're into that, I'm not. But if you want, if you want to do that, I mean, that's a good solution. But if I'm investing my family's wealth, which is maybe tens or hundreds of thousands or millions potentially, uh, mm -hmm. then my bias is to look for uh, financial houses with with quite a long track record, uh, a very good, strong reputation, a good, strong financial position. Because even though my resource, uh, my, my investments are legally protected, uh, I'd r much rather never have to test that protection uh, in, in real life. Because if something does happen, uh, I mean, usually the protection works brilliantly, but there have been some cases with some major brokers that did go bust where it can take a few years for you to get your money out. And that, that's already uh, already not fun, right? Uh, so, so for long-term investing, for investing large amounts of money, I tend to prefer bigger, older, more established financial companies. Yeah. Of course, watching out for those pesky fees at the same time. Yeah, pesky fees, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose that the fees piece is a piece around, you know, why you you like the index funds, the ETFs, because they're lower fee based and more of the return comes to you. I assume that's the case. Is that a right assumption? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, of course, uh, there are no guarantees in investing. There's only statistics, mm. but statistically, index funds and ETFs uh, in in pretty much all industries uh, historically over the long term have beaten most professional investment funds. And, and the key reason, one of the key reasons is that they have much lower fees and that is directly management fees. And it's also all kinds of expenses because when you have these active funds which buy and sell and buy and sell a lot of stocks, every time they do that, they incur expenses and, and, uh, and index funds do that a lot less. Okay, so so that's why they have been. That's one of the reasons why they have been uh, so powerful. And if we look at the kind of investment market at the moment, you know, we're, we're sat here now, just you know, early part of February 2023. The markets have had a really, particularly in the UK, they've had a really strong bounce. Um, Going to ask you the big question to get your crystal ball out, I suppose. You know, yeah. where do you see you know funds, uh, stock markets going? during the course of 2023, Tom? So so this is one of my favorite topics that I preach a lot about. Uh, so the stock predicting uh, market timing, these things don't work. Uh, it's really a waste of time to do it and it's even a bigger waste of time. It's actually a big risk to listen to people doing it. Uh, there's a reason, I think it was Warren Buffett who said that uh, the only point of stock uh, predictions or stock predictors is to make fortune tellers look good. 
Yeah. Because fortune tellers, <laughs> by comparison, look they're, like they're really smart. Like there are, there's a whole industry. You'll open up the Financial Times or Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or whatever, and you'll see all these articles saying that either, you know, it, it looks like it could be a great opportunity and we're about to see a pickup. Or, you know, just today I, I opened up the news and some big short seller was saying, sell, sell, it's time to sell. And, 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 the, and any of them might be right. I mean, maybe the guy's right. Maybe somebody yeah. else is, but there's uh, <laughs> like scientifically, uh, there's no reason to believe any of them more than anybody else. Uh, market timing really, really doesn't work. Um, and uh, the reason is that the market is complex uh, and it's watched closely by thousands, if not millions of, of smart investors around the world. So the current level of stock prices, for example, it reflects the consensus of the market of where we are and where we're going. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the current market level uh, already reflects some, uh, some worry about the future. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't reflect the perfectly beautiful picture of the future, right? It, it, is, it reflects what the market thinks might happen with the economy, with inflation, with the war in Ukraine and everything else. Now, if we go ahead and, and things happen more favorably than expected, then the market might go up. If they happen less favorably, then the market might go down. But predicting that sm smarter than the market is virtually impossible. So I really recommend against trying to time the market and make these predictions. And instead, I mean, the smartest approach for, to investing has been for a long time, which is regular investing and not stressing out. And don't yeah. let your, don't let yourself stress out. I, I'm, I was buying a year ago when prices were higher. A little, I'm buying now. I'm happier now that prices are lower. I'm still buying. If prices got go down even more, I'll be even happier. I can buy them even cheaper. If they go back up, I'll also be okay because my portfolio is up. Right? You try to kind of look at it from a long term perspective. Yeah. Like you're going to be fine. I make regular investments because I know that is the kind of smartest way to invest over the long term. Yeah, it's a very philosophical way of looking at it in a great way. And there is that adage, isn't there? It's drip money in to the market. Yeah. Whatever the market yeah. price is, just drip market in. And as you say, that's a proven success and technique. And yeah, yeah, I must admit, you know, recently sold as listeners to the podcast. No, you know, the core business I had, having sold some smaller businesses along the way on my journey and yeah, put some money into funds and did that kind of, the advice I had was, right, put it into some funds, put the money in there, Drip it in over a period of time. Don't put it in in one lump sum. But the other thing was, the question was, you know, did you did I want the, to be able to track what those funds were doing on my phone? And I went, no, don't give it to me. I just tell me once a year yeah. because yeah, yeah because I think you can you can react emotionally, can't you, at times? And I suppose everything you're saying on this during the course of this conversation is, Tom, is try and take that emotion away out of investing and be more practical and be more pragmatic about it. Is that right? Uh, the way I usually put it is we can't turn off our emotions. We know that there will come. So it's good to educate yourself to know what kind of things happen in the market. And I actually always encourage my students to prepare themselves emotionally. I actually encourage them, okay, imagine it. It's it. The big crash comes and you're looking at your account. And if, if you're all in stocks, then you'll see it's down 40 percent or even down 50 percent. Like in the big financial crisis, you see that you've lost whatever, 5000, 50000, whatever is you know the amount for you. Uh, prepare yourself for that. If you're investing for a 20 year time horizon, for example, you know, you shouldn't really care that much. You can you can keep investing, but it's going to suck. It's not going to feel you're not going to be a happy time. So prepare yourself for that. Uh, talk it over with your spouse. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that you, you're not in the situation where, you know, this happens and your spouse is threatening to divorce you because you lost a bunch of money, you know, uh, agree that this is, you know, is this appropriate? Is this level of risk appropriate? If it is, then commit that, okay, periodically these crashes and things happen, but we're going to be fine. We're going to keep going. If you don't want to take that risk, then don't take it. You know, think about it ahead of time, prepare yourself. And if you're prepared and if you've kind of imagined what it's going to feel like, if you've discussed it with your partner, um, I mean, you're much more likely to be successful than if you kind of like what what really upsets me is when when people just listen, they, they just get enthusiastic about investing and they just or they just give some money to a banker. Yeah, let, let's put mm -hmm. it in the market. And then and then the market goes down and and then they blame the banker, they blame the market, they blame everybody, um, uh, which is understandable. Uh, and but it's not mm -hmm. really the banker's fault if the market goes down, you know, the, 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 of course, they're kind of responsible for maybe not explaining it better. But it's also on us, you have to be educated, you have to understand, like, if you're putting money in the market, you are taking risk. Yeah, you want to make money. If you want to make money, you got to take risk. You got to prepare for it. And, and if you prepare for it, then you're likely to be successful over the long term. Okay, brilliant. And on that subject of risk, I, th I suppose we should talk about you know entrepreneurs, business owners, founders. They are they're naturally probably on the higher risk taking scale than you know Joe Public, and so therefore they might be interested in crypto or you know a very specific stock or a particular sector or you know something they've heard about so you know if they are being sensible with a proportion of their investment would you advocate that freedom to you know if it is money they can afford to lose doing something different with it is that part of your philosophy as well tom or would you always say play safe uh, well, I think uh, this kind of there's this approach that's called core and satellite, which is where you have maybe 80 or 90 percent of your of your portfolio in you know the sensible thing, and then you play with five or 10 or 20 percent because you want to, and you don't have these expectations that you're necessarily going to win, but you just want to play. And I'm not against that. I mean, if somebody wants to wants to do that, I think it's reasonable. Uh, what is important to to understand is that first of all, when it comes to individual stocks or individual sectors, um, just because you have a brilliant idea, you should be aware that probably a million other investors have had that brilliant idea. So, so the price probably already reflects that. So it's not mm -hmm. that easy. Um, and with a lot of, well, crypto and everything else, that's a separate conversation. I don't know if you want to go there. <laughs> but, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go there quickly. Um, but so what's your view on crypto? Yeah, well, I, I know this always makes me some enemies, but I, I'm not I'm not a fan. I, I think it's okay. one of the biggest wastes of time and energy um, uh, in, 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 I don't know, history. There's so many smart people have spent so much time and energy thinking about something and working on something that, that doesn't actually uh, serve any uh, real purpose. I mean, there's some, right, there's some benefit, but really very limited. Uh, I, I, I look at it like it, it's you look at a truly useful technology like the internet or now we see AI and these AI tools coming out and you see that it's hugely demand driven. People are running out there using it because they see the potential. They see how they can make money. They see how they can get more productive or or have fun with it or whatever. Right. Uh, and that's a sign of a really kind of potent technology. And then I look at blockchain and crypto and it's all supply driven. Like I've yet to meet anybody who themselves was not speculating who was excited about actually using blockchain for anything. Mm -hmm. Like 
if a person, if they don't own crypto, I haven't met anybody who doesn't own crypto who's like, oh yeah, I really want to use blockchain to, to solve this problem or that problem. Like it, it's like virtually doesn't exist. There's no real, there's, I mean, there are some, some like, okay, the, for crime and for these, some of these other things, uh, there, are, there are some use cases, obviously, right? Uh, Maybe in, in countries where there's no rule of law and there, there's all these other problems, but, uh, but mostly I see is that the, it's, uh, it, it's very much supply driven, like it's pushed by a whole bunch of shills who build castles in the air, about all these applications and uses for it. Uh, whereas, uh, in fact, uh, I just uh, I just don't see it. So, so it feels like it uh, feels like a waste uh, from an investment perspective. Even if I'm wrong, let's stip I, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I can be wrong. Let's assume I'm 100 percent wrong. Um, even if I'm wrong and blockchain is a fantastically useful and important technology, um, buying coins, it's not investing, it's speculating. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're trying to guess which coin is going to go up, which coin is going to go down. Uh, maybe you buy Bitcoin, but in fact, Ether is going to go up. Maybe you buy Ether, but it's something else that goes up. Uh, you might be right. You might be wrong. It's a fairly active thing to do. It takes a lot of effort to follow all, all, all this market and the news and everything else. Um, so again, this is more like gambling than long-term investing, even if I'm wrong and even if this technology is going to be really fantastic and cool. Brilliant perspective, Tom. Thank you for that discussion around investment. I just do want to finish on a couple of things about you as an individual. So... As well as being an entrepreneur, as well as um, delivering and developing the investment training business, you're also an award-winning fiction writer, I bet. Wow, that's yeah. quite a diverse mix. So what got you into writing books, Tom? Well, I guess I was writing before I was doing anything else. I mean, I, 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 I was writing at the age of seven or something when I read, read a children's book that I didn't like the ending of. So, so I started writing a sequel. <laughs> I'll uh, write my own ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, then uh, I, I was writing it as a teenager. It was just, yeah, I, I loved reading uh, fantasy and science fiction growing up. Uh, now, uh, that's how I got into uh, English actually, I was I was reading books in English because there were, wasn't enough fantasy and science fiction in Latvian, um, and so I was reading it. And I started writing in English as well, and uh, it was just this big ambition of mine. And and then when I actually moved to the States and lived there for a few years, and my my uh, language skills got even better, and uh, so I, I started getting published and winning winning some awards and getting nominated, and uh, so that, that was really re rewarding. This childhood dream uh, that uh, came true, um, and, and yes. So I, I've had a couple of novels out. Uh, um, uh, I had a novel about Wall Street, actually, partly about Wall Street and partly about like Siberia and Soviet exile uh, called The Cattle Express. Um, and I had a novel about dancing in Cuba for young adults called uh, The Cat King of Havana. So yeah, I, I put a few uh, books out. But that was all before I started this uh, Indexo company, I have to admit, since I, uh, uh, <laughs> since I started that ride, it's been a little difficult to find the time uh, for writing books. Brilliant. Hopefully you get to find that passion again in the future. Yeah. So just to really round up, I always end with this question and I will, I'll end it with you. Um, we've talked about what success may mean for you in terms of investment and those kind of things. But from a personal perspective, what's your definition of success, Tom? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a tough question, right? Uh, there, there's so many layers to that. Um, uh, in, in some ways, I already feel very successful because I have a loving family. Uh, I'm, I'm fine resource wise. So I, you know, I don't need more money. Mm -hmm. I can have a 
very pleasant. I can have a nice walk in the park in the morning and I feel happy about that. Uh, so there's so much that makes me uh, feel like I'm successful. Uh, but then the other thing that I think about these days is because I have two little children and I'm seeing what's happening with the world. For example, these AI chatbots, right? that are coming out, which seems like a funny little thing, but it, it's gonna really change the world. Um, so I'm reminded of, I, I forget which Greek philosopher it was that basically said that you, you can't be called a happy man unless you're dead and your children are dead and they all had basically happy lives. <laughs> because, you know, what if you die and then the world changes and it's difficult for your kids, right? So now I'm thinking in terms of long-term success of setting my family up for success if the world is really transformed, if many professions disappear, if, if AI becomes a big factor. yeah. So so it, it's it's actually yeah, an interesting period. I, I, I think it's a the next few years are going to be a period of huge change. And I think we all should think about how do we position our families um, uh, to, to be uh, to, be, uh, to best kind of navigate these changes. Brilliant. Great thought. Yeah, thought provoking response. That's Tom and you're right, aren't you? I mean, AI is going to change and I've got two kids. And yeah, how does that change the world? And how can we get them, you know, as parents better prepared? For them exactly. to find their way through life definitely love that response so if people want to learn more about tom they want to learn more about your investment training where can they go yep so you can go either to my website which is tomcrosshill.com or you can sign up for one of my free webinars which is at go.indexmasterclass.com uh so uh hopefully maybe we can put the link uh, next to the podcast description um and, and so these webinars are especially for european investors and that includes uk investors so i'd be happy to see anybody there brilliant thank you tom i love conversations where i leave the conversation more informed and knowledgeable and this has definitely been one of those conversations so thank you for being a great guest on the evolve to succeed podcast thank you for having me it was a true pleasure thank you for listening to the evolve to succeed podcast my hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable informed and inspired individual and business leader if you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.